Welcome to the PRISM Podcast. PRISM North America is a K-12 school system committed to building a sanctuary for children and families in North America. PRISM is a Northgate school, and this is our podcast. My name is Misty Newcomb. I'm the superintendent of Prison North America, and this is our podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about something that I think is a common theme to parenting these days and probably has been for a long time, but we're going to be talking about anxiety and worry inside of parenthood. Joining me today, I have three guests. One, uh, actually several, all of them have been on the podcast before, um, but this is their first time joining me together. Lindsay Nichols, why don't you introduce yourself as our first guest? Yeah. Hey guys, it's nice to be here again. Um, Many of you know me as just the preschool through fifth grade principal here at PRISM North America, but I'm also a mom. I have a 12-month-old rambunctious toddler, and I'm also expecting another baby boy in August of this year. All right. So I think that puts you as the mom with the youngest children on here today. Anna Mwangi, I think that you are next in line. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah. So hi. Really nice to be back. Um, so as you mentioned, my name is Anna Mwangi. I have two beautiful little girls. One of them is five. The other is eight. And my eight-year-old actually attends PRISM. She's in an independent student in the virtual program. And um, yes, really, really glad to be back. All right. And finally, Miss Lisa Baird. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. It is so good to be back. I have been tracking these parenting podcasts. We have really been enjoying them in our home. Uh, I am um, the mom of two wonderful girls. Uh, One is a teacher at PRISM and one is a student who will be graduating this year from PRISM. So my my girls are older and um, I also have the privilege of being a campus coordinator for Arizona. Yeah, so um, a really a really nice range of 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 kids and of ages and of uh, responsibilities inside of of Prism. I think that the range is really nice on these parenting podcasts because I know I have four kids of my own, and I think about the type of anxiety I used to feel when they were newborns. Um, you know, we didn't have as cool monitors as Lindsay has. I mean, the monitors that they have and the video technology that they have to see their babies. If we had videos when my kids were little, and Lisa, I think you can back me up on this, they were such low quality, they almost looked like an ultrasound, right? Like True. You, couldn't have, <laughs> you couldn't have told if they were breathing or not, or what they were doing. So you would go in there, and I would anyway check multiple times, especially that first one. It's like, are you breathing up and down? Like, is that, and I really, especially the wee hours of the night when, you know, you're going on months of no sleep, I would really have to deal with my, Mm -hmm. my brain and deal with, that's a different type of anxiety, like survival anxiety. And then as they get older and you give them car keys or they move out of your house. And now I have, you know, everybody on my find my phone app and I'm always checking. They're different, but they're the same. This this type of anxiety, when you think about anxiety, it almost seems synonymous, honestly, with motherhood. And you you if you are on social media at all, you hear people talking about anxiety um, and worry in a way that, honestly, I never heard my mom 
talk about. I'll just be, I'll be honest, like it's just a given um, and almost a joke about just chronic anxiety. And I think I never heard the generation above me. So to talk like that, where do you guys think all this anxiety is coming, coming from? Is it a new phenomenon or is it an old one that now we just talk about more often? What do you guys think? Well, I think you hit, personally, I think you hit the nail on the head, at least with this, at the comment you made about social media. You know, I can't speak, like Misty said, I'm the newest mother on the motherhood train. I've only been doing this for a year, but I can say from the time we found out we were pregnant, I mean, I was totally tracked on Facebook and in Instagram. And as soon as they realized what I was looking at, I was being inundated with both fact and opinion right? I think we are informed. You know, I love reading Emily Oyster. She's one of my favorite, just fact giving people, but even that, you know, so I definitely think I would say social media is a huge contributing factor to the, in the uptake in anxiety. We see each other's lives and can compare. And then there's just a lot, you know, on there telling us what's right, what's wrong, what'll, what'll give your kid a brain disease. If you take it when you're pregnant, what'll, (laughs) You know, so, and even that deciphering fact versus opinion is hard. I mean, it was difficult for me figuring out what is actually true. Like, can I take ibuprofen or not? (laughs) Um, So anyways, that's, that's what I would say for sure. I don't know about you guys. I think that's true. I think uh, when I was a mom, I had moms, other mom, like my mom and grandma's giving me their opinions and their, what they had learned through, um, raising children. But I see now there's social media has given everybody access to opinions and the louder people talk, um, the more sometimes people will say things confidently and they're completely wrong, but their confidence throws you off. So I think the access to other people's opinions is it can be really destabilizing. And my husband says uh, opinions are like noses. Everyone, everyone has one and some are bigger than others. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that the uh, social media opens up a couple of things. It, and I think y'all touched on these. Um, It's an enormous amount of information that's completely unfiltered by quality. And I, I didn't have social media. I mean, that just did not, I had all four kids before Facebook was, accessible. Um, I think I got my first smartphone the year after my last one was born. I mean, so A, I'm really missing out on quality photos that you guys have. And B, I'm also did not have access at my fingertips. I would have to check books out for the library. But I remember actually, even then, um, even with that kind of information, someone one time told me, you need to stop reading. And they were right. Like they were like, just stop reading because you're getting yourself kind of wound up by all the things you're reading. And so just the access to information is a big deal and it's unfiltered. And the lack of access to guides, I think that women before us had mothers and grandmothers and raising a child was kind of a tribal experience. You know, everybody was in on it. And and you had, you wanted your mother's feedback. You wanted the wise women in your community. There was something that would be socially acceptable. And in our individualistic culture, there's not really a space for anyone to speak into your, your life. And in some ways, you know, we've been able to progress and have, you know, different experiences with our families that I would say would be good. But in other ways, we are often left without guides. Our indiv- And that was something that I really felt 
for the first time very closely. Uh, I was a very, I was young when I had my kids. And I remember one time thinking like, this would be so much easier if people would just tell you what to do. And also, I don't want people to tell me what to do. (laughs) 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 And I remember like having both of those thoughts at the same time and seeing kind of the challenge of modern society is that it's so individualistic and we we like inherently, we don't have inherent trust. And, and that's a problem for everyone involved, right? That's a problem for the mothers and the, the wise women in the community who, who should have a place, uh, you know, a nice outlet to, to speak and provide their experience. But it's also a problem for the young people who don't really know who to, who to listen to. And there's such a bent on doing things different than people did it before that, you know, if taken too far can be unhealthy. And then finally, I think what you said, Lindsay, you can see everyone. And so there's a lot of comparison. And I think that that's a root to a lot of problems that um, comparison. And this is something that we try to tell our high school students. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't, um, especially our young ladies, there's just kind of a um, a propensity to do that. And it never goes well. Like you need to be you and you need to be everything God's called you to be and appreciate the distinction and the differences of the person next to you, but don't feel inferior because of it. And so social media puts, puts, gives people a platform to showcase what they're doing as a parent in sometimes ways that can be very unhealthy and gives us a platform to consume that in ways that are unhealthy. So just because you put a picture up of you and your child doesn't mean you're being a stinker. But we have to monitor both our intake and what we are showing to make sure that our motives inside of that are wholesome and not competitive in comparison. Because that does, I think, I really do think the information, the you know bombardment of information and comparison are both really uh, problematic. So how does, when we think about how anxiety manifests and when you see those pictures on social media or when you read those things, what are some of the ways that practically speaking, what does anxiety look like for, I mean, you are all mothers. What does that look like for mothers? Overreacting. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. So I think uh, the noise, all of the noise actually gets inside and we, we focus at an external, we focus on all the external and that causes the driver to be wrong. I think you had mentioned that earlier about the the, the energies or the reason we're posting something or, um, and I think those are the things that, um, that I have found when I have messed up and let my anxiety drive me to uh, speak to something too soon, to um, uh, choose a wrong moment, or just um, even come it, when you're when you're anxious about things, it causes um, it causes weird body language. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. And then and then it kind of sends a message of like, wow, this is a bigger than it is. And and so that has been that's what it has looked like for me of uh, overreacting. I think what Lisa said is probably we can all relate to that. I think the other aspects of that for myself, it's it's just wrong prioritization of things and. You know, I found found myself as a new mom often just feeling really um, spending a lot of time and energy um, focusing on, you know, the health of my child and the well-being of my child. And, you know, a lot of that I can look back and say was really driven by a lot of anxiety and fear that I had to just very, you know, very um, 
clearly confront in my own life, but it was, it was causing me to spend just amounts, you know, large amounts of time in my day focusing on the wrong thing and unable to kind of pull back and look at the big picture. And I was losing just peace of mind and my ability to just, you know, sort of manage my life from a place of, of peace and a place of rest. Yeah, I can really relate to what both of you ladies have shared. But, you know, actually, I feel like anxiety affects me a little bit differently, whether it's from parenting or dealing with other situations. I would describe it as hamster wheel thinking. So I get caught up a lot more in the internal and don't act. I'm not always very quick to act. I get caught up in kind of that analysis paralysis aspect of things. So I'm thinking, 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 taking in more and more and more information both from my kids and what they're doing, from my husband's opinions, from, you know, all the stuff. And I'm trying to make it all work. Like I want the best of all of it. I want my husband to be happy with what I choose. And for him not to think I'm being stressed out and crazy, I want it to be perfect for my child. And I want it to like work with my work schedule. You know, like if I'm just like talking about like, so I'm just like thinking like running on a hamster wheel, like running, 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 trying to figure it all out, figure it all out. And I think internally, I know it's not possible to do all those things or make the perfect choices. And so I don't make them because I, I internalize that it's not possible, but it just ends up being this immense amount of pressure. I'd say that's how I, that's what kind of happens inside of me is like this just building and building and building. And then maybe, yeah, like Lisa was saying, like, then that could definitely lead to like a huge overreaction to like a small moment, like crying when I can't get my son's pajamas on as a newborn because I just can't figure it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's how I would describe it for me. We've got to figure out ways to get off that track and out of those loops mm-hmm. and move forward rather than just be stuck in paralysis because of of that pressure. And so I want to talk about how we practically do that. Like how, what are some steps that you have taken to manage or address anxiety in your own life and in your own, how do you get off that loop? How do you move forward even when things aren't, aren't perfect? Lindsay, do you want to, you want to start us off on this one? Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, I have a few practical, uh, practical things, but, you know, I think they're all rooted in something deeper, like my practical strategies. I've tried a lot over my lifetime and I think my practical strategies hadn't become successful until just this year. Um, so just like a tiny bit of background, we were in the NICU for a long time with Ezra and, um, my firstborn and obviously produced a lot of like stuff we couldn't control, you know, and, um, and just a lot of questions, obviously. And I think in that time, my husband and I both had to come to a much more solidified and genuine place of just trusting God with every aspect of our life, trusting his sovereignty, trusting that he loves us and he loved our son and he was not going to let bad things happen just because I made like one wrong decision, like to use formula versus try and breastfeed him in the NICU. Um, So that's kind of the underlayer, right? That had to be there in place in order for these practical strategies to work. But ironically enough, um, my practical strategy, I learned it on Instagram, (laughs) which is funny because we were playing social media as like the enemy a minute ago, which my other one has to do social media too. But um, it was this idea. I saw another mom who had children in the NICU that she talked about, which was turning her what if statements to even if statements. So I think we've all been there. Like, what if this is a horrible idea and it actually results in this terrible outcome? So 
thinking about like, what if we don't leave the NICU today? That was like the big battle. We just want to (laughs) leave. And so it's like, what if we don't leave today? And changing it to even if we don't leave today, God is providing us with so much resource and he's feeding us here and Ezra is safe here. And we know that he's taken care of. Um, And even in my day to day life now, that's like, what if I don't like, I don't know what to feed my kid. Like, what if I'm not feeding them organic things? Even if I don't feed my child organic food, I'm going to trust that God's going to take care of them. Trying to find the right doctor for delivering the new baby. Even if this isn't the best doctor in Northwest Arkansas, God's going to take care of me in the midst of delivery. And honestly, it's such a small practical thing that I've changed mentally, but it has radically changed the way I make decisions and the way our family operates because I don't bring in, like Lisa said, all that noise Um, because I'm able to say like, even if that happens, God has us and we can trust it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, Lindsay, it really reminds me of when my kids were little that, and I I didn't have a cool Instagram, what if to even if picture. (laughs) Uh, Again, I mean, the loss of not having Instagram. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it does. It has its pluses. But I think about, I remember having kids for me was a major, and I think you're alluding to this, was a major point of coming to a place of, do I trust God or not? Because I loved them so much. And a lot of the things that had happened in my life had been, I could see, well, I made this choice. I did this. I did that. And with kids, it was the first time that I could just say, I could do the very best I can, and they still something bad could happen. And you know that doctors send you home. They probably don't send you home with pamphlets about SIDS anymore, but they did back then. And I remember, do they, they I mean, you, you know, like, this. <laughs> oh, okay, great. All right. Yeah. So you've got graphics and everything in your mind. Um, and you know, it's, I'm like happy to have that information and to know, but what it produced in me was this fear of anything could take this child. And I remember thinking, good people, like I could do, I could be a good person. And even though God loves me, my child could die. Mm-hmm. Like I remember that was I, I in the wee hours of the night having those conversations. And that's why I would just stare at them. Like if I could just stare at them all night long, they this won't happen to them. I'll at least know it. Um, and one of the things I remember just in one of those middle of the night things, I began to learn about the sovereignty of God it, really in a new way. And that God, that we have to know that He is sovereign. And that means He superintends everything, the good and the bad. And it's not, uh, yes, my choices matter, but also God is sovereign. And one of the things that I remember, I had a big drive when my kids were little, and I remember driving back and forth um, to the different places I would go and thinking about this, if God's sovereign than even if my kids die. Like that was the worst thing I could think of. Like what's the worst thing that could happen? Well, the worst thing that could happen is really, really, really bad. And I remember driving on that drive one day and just realizing even if the kids, if if one of them died, like that would still, God would be sovereign over that and he would take care of us and he would help us and he would have a purpose in that. And I have to trust him even in that extreme circumstance. And it didn't mean that I wanted that to happen, but it just, there was a reckoning that I had to come to internally that God is sovereign and he is ultimately trustworthy, even if it's hard, even if it's really, really hard. And I think that that was a major turning point in my life in understanding that. And that carried me through work situations in the future because, you know, nothing 
to reckon with that with your own child, just mentally, was sort of like the worst thing that I could imagine happening. And so after that, like if I get fired from this job, God's sovereign and he'll take care of us and he's going to produce something good in it. And he wouldn't do it just to be mean. He's good and he's sovereign and he's trustworthy. And so whatever he permits, he permits for a reason. And that was like a real extreme place I had to come to and an extreme way I had to look at it. But that has helped me in so many areas of of my life and in so many areas with my own kids, like as I am releasing them to make their own decisions. Well, God's also sovereign in their life and I can trust him with them as well. Yeah. I think that confrontation with yourself that you're talking about is absolutely key. And, And that's something that I really had to come to a place of asking what is driving this fear and what is driving this anxiety mm-hmm. and to your point um, I think that love that you have for a child is just incredibly unique it's different than anything else you can mm-hmm. connect to mm-hmm. in life and it actually surprised me when I became a mother how much I loved this child um, it was kind of unnerving <laughs> um, uh, and and that confrontation of saying what is driving all this anxiety and I can remember having a conversation with my husband that was a shift for me and a turning point connected to what you're saying where he said to me this child is not your child this is God's child and you have to resolve within yourself that he loves this child more than you do. And he's watching them and caring for them and protecting them and keeping them in a way that your own analysis and research and you know your own right. uh, striving to understand and do the best you can here, there, everywhere. There is, he is the one, ultimately he created them and you have to resolve that. I mean, we had to resolve it together, but there was just another kind of, layer for me as a mother, I think. And, and that was very key for me. And that led me, I think, to really sort of practically my big step now is get perspective, get perspective. I can feel when I'm spiraling (laughs) and my, my, my thing is get perspective because when I remember reading an article, when I was like deep into being afraid of something with my kid, I was, you know, um, uh, putting, you know, barriers to stairs all over my house. I can't even remember what they're called now, but, you know. And I remember reading this article about a tribe in the Amazon who lived 200 feet up in the air and had, and like on platforms with their infants and not a barrier in sight. And these kids didn't fall out and they didn't die. And I remember thinking, how is this a thing? And here I am, like my two steps. I need, I need a gate. I need a baby gate. (laughs) And... (laughs) I mean, I still put up the baby gate, let's be honest. But at the same time, it was like in those moments when you start to just go, let's get some perspective on what we're talking about here and get perspective from my mother and get perspective from friends and get perspective from people I trust and get perspective from God. Get perspective because when you kind of get locked down into thinking myopically, it can make you feel like there's just one thing here and perspective can really help take you from that place and and, and sort of free you from that tunnel of anxiety. That's really good. Yeah, I was thinking about um, uh, perspective. I think for me that that would be, I, I didn't realize, I think I had started to live with anxiety so much that I didn't realize when I was um, putting ripples of dissonance into the environment. And so 
um, digging in, I had to dig into the word and uh, it's almost like eyesight. You know, when someone says, can you, you know, how is your eyesight? Well, you don't know, you need to be surrounded by people. And, you know, the doctor has to say, can you read this line? And so I think I, anxiety, it was brought to my attention that anxiety was a thing that, that I was struggling with. And I had to really um, dig into the word and find some, find scriptures. And so one of the scriptures, um, uh, you know, guard your heart above all things for out of it spring the issues of life. And Chris and I were talking about that one day. And, and this was really significant for me to go deeper into that the heart, it needs to be guarded. And so Chris was, was asking like, what kind of things do people guard in life? We guard, we put alarms on our cars and alarms on our houses. And, and I was like, yeah, yeah. Like the, you know, everyone has like these door uh, rings on their doors. And so you can guard your Amazon packages. And, and, and I started thinking about that, like the heart needing to have guarding systems on it. And so we started saying, Hey, uh, in our church community, we started just saying, Hey, put a ring on your heart, put a ring on your heart. And anxiety is a thief. It comes in and it steals your joy. It steals peace. It steals sight. Um, and so we started having that as something like some language that we use to say, hey, it sounds like uh, when anxiety was coming near, we knew it was a threat and we we knew to to manage it and to um, uh, Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so we, we thought about that being a symbol of how important it is to not let anxiety come against your heart, come against your mind, because it does, it steals so much from, from, from the joy of being a mom. You know, Lisa, one thing you said there, um, when you were mentioning that scripture about guarding your heart, it reminded me of just the other practical strategy or just kind of how to sum it up in my life has been setting mm -hmm. boundaries on the content that I consume has been a mm -hmm. big factor. Um, boundaries on my mind. I think that kind of connects to what Anna was saying, like that confrontation with yourself to say, get perspective. Don't think like this, but I've really that I love that phrase of put a ring on, put a ring on your heart. I did that on my Instagram, on my social media. I've started removing things and creating a separate account where when I wanted the information, I could go get it, but I wasn't inundated with it. I like put some effort into changing my algorithm using an incognito browser when I'm looking at stuff about my kids so that I, I'm not just like, you know, just put with this information. But that word boundaries, I think has been trusting in the Lord, but then setting boundaries on just what I'm consuming because it does affect the outflow of your heart mm -hmm. and your mind when you're just with that stuff all the time. You know, I think that, this is so good and so so rich when we when we talk about these things and when we talk about the you know we're talking about identifying like here's a pattern here's a rut that I'm stuck in and I know it's not right and so here's some steps I'm going to take to almost like combat that and I feel like um that's that's like 60 50% of the of the of the puzzle the other side of it is a a posture of faith. And I want to describe what I mean by that. A lot of times we say faith-based and people think, oh, that means religious. And I want to really, um, I think it's really important. One of the things that Clay talked to me about, uh, we, 
when we were, I mean, we were very young, very, our kids were very little and now they are, they are not anymore. But I remember him talking cause I was trying to like deal with these issues. And it was like, I, I, I am trying, I, <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to block stuff out and that helps. I'm trying to fight it and that helps. And it's a part of the puzzle. Like you have to, you have to really guard your mind and guard your heart. Like you are talking about, you can't just let anything in and then say, Oh, well, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. We are, our, our minds, our impressions, our lives are multiple based off of what we're consuming and what we're taking in. And so you do have, that's a responsibility that you have. But one of the things that Clay talked to me about, um, in our early years of marriage was really seeing by faith who we are called to be and, and building our life by that, by that in faith towards that instead of just trying to not build these other things. And so I remember Clay uh, telling me, like, I really think it would be important for you to, to go and like, say, well, God, like spend some time, like really asking the Lord to give you a picture of who you're supposed to become. And it was, it was really interesting because in that I, I, it was, it became a prayer of mine, like, God, give me, let me, let me have understanding insight into not just what I can see and not just blocking off certain things, um, but also give me sight into what I can't see and, and really trusting that he was going to do that. And a, like a, visual image began to emerge, not like a concrete one, but a, a picture of someone that was very strong and very confident and very, um, you know, had a, a backbone made of steel and a face of flint. That's what we used to, uh, <laughs> there's a verse in the Bible that that talks about that. And, you know, that would have been wildly different than who I was at that point in my life. And that was a picture that whenever I would start to like get weak in the knees or get just about like going through life or about fear of what tomorrow would hold, I would remember, no, I'm a strong, like God's called me to be a strong woman and someone who who can take things. And, and I would just... And it wasn't like self-help. It wasn't like a positive declarations, but it was like, I know that this is from the beginning, from the foundations, before the foundations of the earth were set. This is who I was called to be because it, the Bible says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and that He knew about me before the beginning of time, you know? And so because that's true, then then I that is actually more true than what I can see and feel and what the actual experiences I'm having. And I really began to lean into that just by faith. And I think that that was such a game changer for me. It was one of those things I didn't see the fruit of it immediately. Like it wasn't like the next day I was really strong. But over time, I could look back and see like, oh, I've really grown in that area. It's been much easier for me when those things come, when those thoughts, those anxious thoughts come. I'm able to say, no, I'm not going to, I will not, I'm not going to entertain those thoughts a lot faster because it was like my identity of an, of being an anxious woman, of being a fearful person, of being afraid. My identity was changing. And I, I was leaning into that. I was reading about, when I would read verses in the Bible, I would say, yes, that's who, that, that is me. When it says that God gives us a spirit of, of, uh, wisdom and peace and a sound mind, I would be like, yep, that's me. That's what the Bible says that he'll give me. And I'm just going to believe that I'm going to believe that that's what God gives me. And so every morning when I would read the Bible, I would, I would believe what it said. <laughs> I, and I would say, yes, this is who he's forming me to be. And when I would have thoughts that went astray from that, I would be like, no, that's not like by faith. I am I am different than what I see, and I think different than what how I how I think, and that um, really 
really changed my mind. And so I changed my life. And so I really want to encourage people that there is a realm of faith that we can operate in that is very different than what we see or hear. And it doesn't mean that we don't need to monitor what we consume. I think we do, because I think we want to reinforce what the Bible says about us. And sometimes when we when we get consumed in social media, we're doing the opposite. And so we want to we want to surround ourselves with thoughts, with images, with people who reinforce these biblical standards that we're saying we hold true to because it's more than just a thing we do on Sunday. Faith is how we live our life and who we believe we are and who we believe God made us to be. And that should impact how we act. That And that is going way deeper than actions. That's going into identity. I am a woman of faith. I am a woman of strength. I do have a sound mind because that's what God has given me. And that's what He's going to continue to give me. And as we lean into that by faith, more than we lean into what we see, we walk by faith and not by sight, then we really become who we're called to be. And that really changes things. And so I really want to encourage all the moms, all the dads as well. Um, anxiety is not something that's restricted to women, even though we are all mamas on here talking. Um, we may be, just be willing to talk about it more. <laughs> <laughs> but it's certainly not restricted just to women. But remember that faith is not something that we just talk about on Sunday. It's something that we live and that shapes who we become if we if we lean into it. So I want to really encourage people to do that. And I think as we do that ourselves, our daughters and sons see that. And that becomes... Uh, the native frequency by which they operate because they pick that up from us, from how we operate and they learn from watching us that this is how we, this is how we craft out an identity. This is how we, this is how we live by faith and what it means to say the just shall live by faith. Um, and we, and walk by faith and not by sight because they see us doing it. And that's the best gift we can give our kids. So thank you ladies so much for joining. Um, I know this one has gone a little bit long, but I think it's been really, really good. And I appreciate so much all of uh, the insight that you guys brought into it. And um, like I said in the, in the last couple of weeks, it's important that we have these conversations. And it's important that as a community, we say, this is how we live. This is how we walk. This is how we exist. And these are our standards. This is how we're going to come around our kids. And these are the models that we're going to show them. Because that really, that makes such a difference. And I'm so grateful for each of you and for your walk of faith. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is a production of Prism North America. You can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you access quality podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. To learn more about Prism, visit us at our website, www.prismnorthamerica.org.